live from Pioneer Village where they await their churned butter. It's Gord Stellick and Brent Gunning. That's the last one, I promise, Gord. That is the last one. Uh, Leaf Station, Brent Gunning, Gord Stellick here with you. Nick Kiprio is hijacking the show. And because, you know, he's made enough fun of us, uh, I, I heard a rumor, just a rumor, but there are some outtakes floating around, uh, so we might have those uh, b- before the uh, the show is done there. Uh, that's a workout, churning butter at the Pioneer Village. You know, we talk about the Science Center, another thing I haven't been to in quite a long time. I remember doing it on a school trip. Yeah, that's a workout for for uh, for us, Gordo, churning that butter. Yeah, no, I was kidding him. That's where I was once, and now it's <laughs> where people go to uh, play hockey, right? That's the uh, York University right. uh, complex there, and then... As far as the uh, what was the Rogers Cup and the tennis is kind of right around there, so it seemed like it was so far away when you were a kid. Like you went to this, went to, went to this, you know, way out of town. But actually, it's still within city limits. Yeah, it is funny to, to think about that because you're right. I I'm I feel like I had to ride like a covered wagon to it back back in the day. And you're right; it's just uh, it is right right there uh, in the heart of the city. Uh, somebody who I feel like much to his dismay is right in the heart of Leafs Nation right now because that's the name of this show. Is Julia McKenzie, Julia? And I know that's your favorite place to reside. Is just just right in the heart of Leafs Nation. How you doing today? Man, look, I'm uh, I'm just happy to kick it with you guys, man. It could be Flames Nation, it could be Coyotes Nation, it could be any nation. I'm just happy to be on with you guys. Hope you're both uh, doing well this holiday season. Yeah, very, uh, very, very merry. Uh, despite the uh, complete lack of, uh, of hockey for us to watch uh, the the past couple days, you know, I want to uh, want to kind of dance around the league at, at large with you. But you know, let, let's start with the team in Montreal. You know, we we all had our debates last year during the the Cup run. What exactly is this team? How much of this is luck? How much do you have to give them credit, regardless? And you know, this is a team that obviously missing Weber and Price. We all knew there was going to be some coming back down to earth. I don't know that anybody thought they'd be you know by points and point percentage the second worst team in the league are are you surprised just how bad it's it's been for Montreal this year absolutely we're we're talking about a team that could easily through an 82 game schedule produce its worst season in franchise history this is a team that hasn't been this bad in terms of its uh like record since like the sec like the war we're talking about the first or second world war you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, this is not a, a team that is competitive in any way. And I'm very surprised they got to this point. I thought the Canadians were going to be a team that would at least be able to compete for a playoff spot. But it's clear that uh, their transition game, in order to have plays break out from their own end to the offensive end, has been poor. They haven't been consistent with zone entries. It seems as if uh, on their best days, they might have one or two lines that work during a game. And Everything else just kind of seems to fall apart. And I know Jake Allen is in net for Carey Price. We all know what Carey Price has been through. He's been trying to hold his own, but he can only do it by himself. The team in front of him clearly is not up to snuff. So I I did not expect the Canadians to be this bad. I I can understand why people thought the Canadians were not going to make the playoffs this year. But I I think if you talk to anyone who said, man, this team is going to be this bad, they'd be lying to you because this team is – this is the worst Canadians team I've ever lived to see, which is funny because when I saw them go through the Stanley Cup final, uh, that was the best Canadians team I've ever lived to see. Like I'm under the age of 30 years old for context, but like it's just kind of weird to see them go from the high of a Stanley Cup final to the depths of the NHL standings. 
It's almost like that thing people say, Julian, that, okay, if you make a deal with the devil and he says that, okay, uh, you can play, a, you can be a professional athlete, but it'll cost you 20 years of your lifespan. Would you take that or not? It's almost like, did the Canadians cut that deal before the playoffs last year? You can go on this great run now, but you're going to suck in perpetuity? And did Gord a- <laughs> just call Mark Bergevin the devil? Did that just No, no, oh I did not call God. him the devil, but I mean, it's, <laughs> no. it's, almost, it's almost that surreal. It's kind of funny considering this is a franchise that up until this summer had not been in a Stanley Cup final since 1993. And I'm sure considering how passionate the Canadians fans are, like I'm sure a lot of them would have probably considered doing some similar sort of deal, right? Like the passion in the city of Montreal when it comes to the Canadians, we all know it's a religion. Uh, in the province of Quebec, not just in the city of Montreal. So uh, the idea of them doing some kind of deal with some demon to get themselves to that point, if it means they have to suffer over the next little while, I mean, as as painful as it is, there are some fans, I'm sure, who would at least consider it. But to go through it now, like to see those fans kind of reason with the fact that their team is as bad as it is. We've seen some pretty interesting reactions over the last few weeks uh, with regards to who's going to fill in for Bergevin, the jersey on the ice. It's been really fascinating and eye-opening. So what do you think ends up happening there? You know, we know Gordon is in the mix. There there seems to be the belief that you want, obviously, somebody who can communicate uh, a little more clearly with a big, big chunk uh, of the fan base. How do you, you know, and I, I, I understand that the answer to this will depend on, you know, who the person is, but how do you envision that dynamic playing out? You know, it's so weird for, you know, every team has guys who kind of speak for them, but it felt like Bergevin might have spoke the loudest across the entire league. And now you're going to have a situation where there's two guys kind of sharing power. One guy's doing the bulk uh, of the talking. How, how do you envision that that playing out in Montreal over the long term? Well, I think what's going to happen is, uh, I mean, it's pretty obvious to a lot of people who know the Montreal market that the person who will be in the GM role has to be bilingual and has to address the uh, French-speaking contingent of Canadians fans. Uh, we all know how much it means to the province. We all know how big of a deal it is. And I know some people will hear that and they think, well, yeah, it cuts into the pool of possible candidates for the job. And, and you know, there's no way you're eliminating all these best candidates. We also live in a world where, ironically, the best GM in the National Hockey League is a French-speaking guy in Julian Brisbois, who once upon a time was in the Canadians organization and now works for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, people have to understand that, like, you know, the GM has the front-facing job that he has in, in Montreal and does address those fans in, in, in French and does address the media. I'm on the side that uh, I'm, like, in the middle. Like, I understand the viewpoint of why people think it's really weird, but I also understand from the point that says, you know what, you need someone who needs to address the fans and, and media and such. And in terms of the actual candidates for it, I'm, I'm really intrigued as to who it could be. I, I get the sense that, because Jeff Gordon is in the position that he's in uh, with hockey operations, you might not necessarily want to hire a GM who has who carries the same weight as a Jeff Gordon would. This kind of opens up an opportunity to get someone with a little less experience. It's almost a little bit similar, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, with what Toronto has right now. And I understand Brendan Shanahan. I mean, he, he's had his experiences working in the league, but he's kind of placed in the hockey operations role that he has. And the team was able to get a guy like Kyle Dubas, who, and I mean, I know they had Lou Lamorella at one point, but they were able to get to a point where they got to Kyle Dubas, but it could be a similar situation. Get someone who it's pretty clear. Uh, Jeff Gordon is, is, I mean, 
it's funny to say because that's what the reputation is kind of put out there with the fact that Jeff Gordon is there. But I think that's essentially what could happen because Jeff Gordon has shown that he's worked through all these different NHL franchises and helped build some teams that have been competitive. We look at what the Rangers are right now, but the Canadians could get a guy like a Matthew Darsh or they could get a Daniel Briere. They could even get a little more creative and get a player agent like Emily Castonguay who could learn from Jeff Gordon in the role as GM while also satisfying the language uh, contingent of the job as well. So I think the GM role allows the Canadians to kind of get a, be a little bit different with whoever they hire there knowing that the experience will still come in a front office role from Jeff Gordon. Yeah, no, it's an interesting question and a wonder in Vancouver as well with Jim Rutherford being there, he could hire uh, a less experienced kind of general manager. You know, Julian, now that you've had a few weeks to think it through, where did the divide happen between Jeff Molson and Mark Bergevin? I mean, this was tight, tight, tight. Jeff Merrick was the guy that quite often it's not what you expect. You know, he felt that it might have been that controversial first-round pick in the draft that really uh, got uh, uh, got lambasted PR-wise and had to do try to do some PR damage after the fact. But you know, where, where did the where did the split happen in or start to happen in your opinion? I it's weird because I I would have you would think in a it makes sense to think that the Logan Mayu selection would play a role in it. I know Jeff Molson went out of his way to say that it didn't have anything to do with it, but the fallout from that was, was pretty bad. And and I mean, the way Bergevin handled it, the way uh, the now former AGM Trevor Timmons handled it. And, and the fact that the PR guy, uh, Paul Wilson uh, was also dismissed around the same time as those guys were. A lot of people were thinking that it was a natural thing to, to consider, I mean, I don't know if you guys realize this, but in light of, of the Logan Mayu selection, when Jeff Molson got to speak to the media, they handpicked media members across the city of Montreal. Like guys from TSN 690 weren't selected from the Gazette, Casio Canada, CBC. Like there were so many other people who weren't able to ask questions to Jeff Molson. So I understand where that's coming from. But in talking to other people about it, it seems as if money might have genuinely been an issue between Mark Bergevin and, and, and Jeff Molson here. And consider the fact that, you know, we're going through a pandemic that obviously is affecting everyone in their lives, but it's affecting people who run these these hockey teams and, and the revenue that they're able to generate. And if you're in a situation where you're shelling out a whole bunch of money to Mark Bergevin, you still have to shell out money for Claude Julien this year. Uh, Dominic Ducharme, you just hired, uh, obviously. So they right now, they have two coaches they're paying for. And by the looks of things, with, with the way Dominic Ducharme is playing right now, who knows if they might have to get a third one in there on the books. At least at that point, Claude Julien will be gone. It could just simply – I mean, with the money that Jeff Molson kind of had in a situation, like maybe that was something that was kind of dividing them. That's the sense I got from just talking to people in in the know, I guess. But I still just think that Mark Bergevin and the stress that was kind of put on him for over the last year of this job, like there's still a part of me that thinks that like the opportunity for him to go to a market with far less pressure – is also very enticing like being in montreal as you guys can imagine being in toronto like it's it's not easy to work in a and gore you you know from your experience as well like you it's it's not easy to be a gm of of a canadian market so i i still think that mark bergevin in a weird way kind of sees this all unfolding as a as a blessing in disguise he's definitely sad it probably ended that way but if he's he's not going to be out of a job too long so i i guess my next question could kind of as simply as possible be asked 
just how good is Carey Price? Like, we know he went on the amazing run to, and again, you know, the team uh, caught some puck luck, caught fire as well, but the biggest reason they made it all the way to the Stanley Cup final was because of that guy. Is there a world where he kind of pulls them way, way, and look, I know there isn't necessarily a tank going on, and, you know, he'll be back when he's back, but is there a world where Price is kind of stealing games left, right, and center down, down the stretch and kind of hurting this team's lottery odds? Well, here's the thing. I can't tell you how good Carey Price is right now. This is a guy who went through the player assistance program, didn't skate all of training camp. It's only been in the last few weeks he's been taking to the ice and trying to get himself in shape where he's able to play. So we're only going to really know how good he is right now once he plays. Also, considering the team that's in front of him, uh, (laughs) I'm not sure if he's going to really be able to steal that many games for the Montreal Canadiens. That's not to say that he's not the all-world goaltender we know we've seen him to be, but this is a team that sometimes has so many troubles in their own end, still has trouble scoring as well. Those are things I didn't even mention off the top when you were asking me about the Canadiens as well. This is a bad roster, and I think in the interest of getting a better draft position for next year and building towards that future, they haven't outright said that they're going to do the rebuild, but Jeff Molson did say if that's what Jeff Gordon wanted to do. He wouldn't be afraid of, of the R word being used. But at this point, you're at a position where you're off to the arguably the worst start in your franchise's history. And Carey Price, again, like, I mean, I, I get you kind of want to stay a little fresh, but I don't get the sense of rushing him into play at all, especially with the Olympics off the table. I can understand if he wanted to play in, in Beijing and, and Hockey Canada said, hey, you know what? You're the guy. We're going to get you to play. But at this point, like, there's no sense in rushing him. And even when he does come back to play, like, I I don't think he's going to be able to do that much to uh, help the team, you know, improve their standing while also hurting their draft stock. You have to remember, there's a bunch of guys on this team who are very injured as well. So, Gary Price trying to hold up a really bad roster, that's that's not necessarily the answer to them uh, getting out of the uh, the situation that they're in. You know, Julian, with the uh, the different challenges about making up games with games being postponed, and we see right now that um, the NHL has no appetite for games with no crowd. So it seems like Montreal's target number one about that, hey, as long as you don't have fans, uh, we're, what, what, are, what are they saying? They're going to defer games to later, or they might end up having road uh, home game become a road game? It's a good question. Uh, I, I've kind of just heard around just from other other my colleagues trying to report on this that uh, it seems as if they may be in a situation where they might be playing on the road for a while. For context, uh, the 18th, uh, they were supposed to play against the Boston Bruins at the Bell Center. That game was postponed. That was their last game at home for 2021. And then they were supposed to play in, in New York State and New Jersey this past week. We obviously know what happened to those games, and they're going to be in Florida next week. I don't think they're back at home until January 4th. And and, why, and while right now in Quebec we are not under a lockdown, cases have been going up considerably over the last how many days. I think we're over 9,000 uh, COVID-19 cases in Quebec. I see I see the numbers going up in Ontario, and I just keep looking at them. I'm like, yeah, they're, they're, we're still higher than you guys in terms of the COVID-19 <laughs> cases that we're getting. So I I, I – I'm not really sure if uh, it'll get to a point where the I mean, I get the sense it, it wouldn't surprise me if the Canes were in a position where they'd have to play on the road just a little bit longer. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a bit of a difficult situation. It's a very fluid uh, situation to kind of maneuver through right now. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, I know people are dying. They want to get in there and get their Shein show. They want to enjoy it all. Little steamed hot dogs. We'd all we'd all love to uh, do it. You mentioned you, you mentioned the Olympics there. Obviously, NHL players aren't going. You know, this is something Gordon and I, along with everybody else in the hockey world, have been kicking around. No Olympics, but in your mind's eye, where is the best version of best on best hockey? Does it need to be back at the Olympics to give it that extra cachet? Should should the double IHF or just the NHL as a whole say, you know what, we're good on the Olympics. We're going to set up our own World Cup that we do every four years. What do you think makes the most sense for, for best on best hockey kind of going forward? If you're asking me right now and just off of what I've just been used to for all of my life, it's the Olympics. There is the prestige that comes with winning a medal and just being at the Olympics that comes with just being a, an everyday man who gets to participate in any of the events. So imagine being a professional athlete and you have the opportunity to play in an Olympic event. Like the world championships for, for hockey, I understand they mean a lot to, to certain players. And you, you, know, you win the Olympics, you win a Stanley Cup, you win that, you get to be in the triple gold club. But it clearly does not have the same allure as, as playing at the Olympics. And it means something. To those guys so unless we see like a generation of people who come in and they think they don't think that highly of the olympics i, I at this point like from what we're going to be talking about and what the players feel it's going to be the olympics and i'm not sure what you have to do to kind of change that so you create a world cup for yourself and everyone sees that as like the gold standard right like maybe uh, you know, I'm not really sure what you do with the Olympics. Like, I think right now, at the very least, like right now, if you do a World Cup, it could, you know, kind of fill a hole. But it's kind of like signing David Savard in the hopes that he could be Shea Weber. It's, it's he's not Shea Weber. It's not the Olympics. It's not the high quality of competition that we've come to expect that we go to watch every so often, right? Like, it's not, it's not the same thing. It's a cool tournament. Like I, I still think that the World Cup of Hockey, the fact that they had the team North America, and I understand the rules that are in place to have that, I still thought that was pretty cool. But it's not the Olympics. And I think it's going to take a while before, if the NHL decides, you know what, we're going to make the World Cup of Hockey just a thing for us, it's going to take a while before people kind of change their minds about how they view the Olympics compared to other international tournaments. Yeah, the thing, uh, the thing I kind of go to on that, and, and it's funny because we're we're the same age, I believe exactly, Julian. Is that think about we how are. quickly? Yeah, well, so yeah, I know. I I feel like I come across as a very cantankerous old man, but yes, uh, born in 1989, so uh, very close to the same age, if if not the same age. Uh, yeah, we're in, close. In... We're not the same age though. <laughs> okay, okay. Sorry about that. I I've had people okay. age me on the air, and I don't like it either. So uh, I, and, uh, so I'm sorry to do that to you. But think about That's how the quickly. First time I feel older. I'm kidding. There you go. Look at that. <laughs> I grew a mustache to do it, and uh, apparently all you needed <laughs> to do was have me insult you on, on the air. There, there you go. Uh, in not terms an of. In, in terms of the Olympics, though, it does feel like, think about how quickly that happened, right? 98, first time we had NHL players there. And then basically within two or three iterations of it, it was locked, set in stone. And yeah, hey, a couple, uh, you know, a Canada win definitely helped with that. But it does feel like, do you not think that if you just say, hey, here's where all the best guys are and there aren't gimmick teams, do you not think the World Cup would kind of take hold pretty quickly? Yeah, but I, I think it's going to take like a while to do that. If you do a World Cup like next year and you have all the best teams, yes, you'll have all those teams. But like the World Cup, like it happens like every like what, like eight years. I can't even tell you how often the World Cup is supposed to happen. Like it, that's not, you know, I think one thing that helps 
you, you have to have the World Cup like every like four years or something. You can't have this whole like every eight years or at some random point. Like between the 2016 one, like the one previous was like 2004. We have to wait like 12 something years before the World Cup came back into our conscience. If you're going to do that, not only do you have to have the best players there, you have to find a way to make that like a frequent thing. You cannot have uh, like almost a decade go between world cups like when i watch the fifa world cup i mean they're talking about trying to have it every two years and that's too much <laughs> four years is a perfect uh set of time between world cups and what also helps too is the fact that you have the euro championships and and the and the uh the cha- the, the other ones going on in africa the cup of nations and and the tournament in south america copa america as well and the gold cup in north america too like you have other tournaments going around to kind of whet your appetite in between the world cups as well but if you're not going to make it every two years don't mess up the schedule four years is fine but you cannot have a situation with the world cup where we have to wait like eight, 10 years before we get it. If you're going to make it the thing, make it like every four years. So we, we got a scoop, but you opened the door perfectly to this for me. Here's what you do. The World Cup is every four years. It is set yes. in stone. It is lockstep. You get it. And then every four years, but on the two-year off, like kind of like your Euro idea, you have Hockey's Ryder Cup, and it is Canada and the United States versus the world in a best of three or a best of five. How about that? I Am love I getting you excited? I, I love that idea, but here's the next thing. When do you put it in the schedule? Because the Olympics are are the Olympics, and they're just going to be in February, and the guys have already played, uh, so they're just at the point where they're at. For a World Cup of Hockey and the Ryder Cup, which, again, I still think is a really cool idea, when do you put – where do you put that in the schedule? If, if Now that it's an idea that the league is going to let's, – let's imagine a world where the league has tabled this and they're saying, okay, we have to find a way to put this in the schedule. Where are you putting it? Are you putting it before the NHL season starts? Are you putting it in the middle of the summer? I don't know if the NHL is going to want to have that smack in the middle of the season with the risk of losing out on revenues for certain owners uh, for some of their teams, right? Like a World Cup might be in like the States. It might be in Canada. It might be one place. But only some of those arenas might be able to get a piece of that pie. So the next logistic you kind of have to work through, my man, you have to find out when are you able to put that in the schedule and find a point where players a would be willing to participate that's a whole other thing too if you put that at a random point in the year where players might not necessarily be up to it you're gonna not you're gonna you might have the best teams in the world and the countries represented that might not necessarily be a guarantee for the best players to show up hmm I'm just an idea man. Execution, that is somebody else's problem. I am, I'm just here being a cauldron of ideas. Uh, Julian, thanks so much for the time today. Uh, really, really appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, all the best to you both during, during this holiday season. Please stay safe, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Yeah, same Thank to you. you. Uh, there he goes. Julian McKenzie, uh, The Athletic and Yahoo. Mm. Did, did not like our World Cup idea, Gord. He, he was not a fan. I, you, you keep adding new ideas. I get mixed up with your Ryder Cup now. It's messing me all up. <laughs> Just leave my idea alone. You piggyback. I'm going to be. I'm, I'm going to be throwing in like the skills competition. I'll be like, and then on Wednesday we do the hardest shot with everybody from Europe only, just to make it uh, e- even more confusing. Uh, maybe someone who could get. Well, I, I was about to say us. Let's be honest. Get me back on the rails. Mike McKenna, he'll join us, take a look around the league. I will try to refrain. I will try to stop myself from pitching him the idea, but I have a feeling it's going to come up again. Gord Stelic, break gutting here with you on Leafs Nation. We'll continue next on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. 
Leaf Station here. Brent Gunning, Gord Stellick alongside me. Want to thank the guys helping us put together today's show. J.R. Manitad, Derek Brandeo, making sure we stay on the air. Uh, you know, they're the technically uh, proficient ones, me and you. We, we just uh, hit buttons and make noises. Uh, somebody else who's pretty proficient to what he does, Mike McKenna, joining us now at Daily Faceoff. Mike, how are you doing today? Well, I'm good. Thanks for calling me proficient. Nobody ever said that about me as an actual player or goaltender. So if I'm doing that in media, that's a, it's a huge compliment. I appreciate it. Well, the compliment is me is needed, but you know, as a media guy now, you'll know sometimes you're just talking and it's like, Ooh, that word sounds good. I'm going to, I'm going to mix it in here and it's going <laughs> to roll off the tongue very nicely. So I mean what I said, but that was also one of those kind of, kind of happy accidents that, uh, that, that just worked out uh, perfectly. Uh, really, really been enjoying your work. Uh, ha- happy to get to talk to you here. You know, I do want to kind of look, uh, look, look big picture uh, at the league with you, but I, I do want to start with, uh, with the, uh, you know, the, the bit of a pit that everybody has about the lack of a NHLers going to the Olympics you know mm-hmm. we've obviously been so focused up here on Canada 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 Crosby McDavid throw McKinnon in there too we want to see it we need to see it I could make the argument and, and maybe you will that America's been robbed worse you know you, you we have had this for several generations we've seen the crossover one two three four five six seven times before now this was and and not to say there haven't been great American players before the Patrick Kane era but this was really the first crack to finally get to see Kane and Matthews and you know throw whoever else you want to see like from an American perspective just how upsetting is it to to not get to see them in this the best on best in just a couple of months time yeah, it's disappointing, 100%. I mean, you know, you look at the American teams that have been fielded previously, and there's always a lot of talent with the American clubs, but I feel like it's gone to an entirely new level in the past four to five years, and a lot of that has become – it's a lot of it's because, really, you're getting players all from America. It's not just Minnesota and Michigan and Boston anymore. You've got the entire U.S. to choose from. I mean, obviously, Austin Matthews coming from Arizona and, and the Chuck brothers out of St. Louis, where I'm from as well. But this team was going to be really deep for the U.S. club. And I kind of compare it to the 98 team that went to Nagano, where there was a lot of star power on that team up front. You had Hulk, Kachuk, LaFontaine, LeClaire, Madano. Well, you had that on the front end for this team that we would have seen in 2022 for the U.S. club. I mean, you had Matthews, Kane, both the Kachuks, you know, Debrinkit, Kreider. Like, this was going to be a good club. But I think the biggest difference was on the back end. The emergence of really, really talented U.S. defensemen, Adam Fox, Charlie McAvoy, Slavin, McDonough, Wierenski, Jones, Hughes, like, that's way different than that team in 98 that we saw. And I think that this was really a chance for American fans to rally around this second wave of U.S. players, especially considering in 2018, I mean, guys, that tournament was a joke. Like, it was a farce for the Olympics. It really was. And I think it left kind of a sour taste in Americans' mouths because they didn't get to see what we could do, you know? So it, it's tough to see. I would have loved to have seen it, but you know what? I think it's a, it was the right call by the players and by the NHL to, to step back and realize what's most important, and that's the NHL, the Stanley Cup, getting that awarded by the end of the season. Yeah, I always maintain, Mike, that the best thing that could happen to the league, even though I would cheer for Canada, but, you know, if you're a Canadian fan, you had the big one in 2002, then 2010 on home ice, then the boring one in 2014, whatever. But, you know, your gold medals, the Czech Republic won a neat one, Sweden did that, you know, Team USA winning a gold medal like you know you go back to miracle on ice you know that that story Mm -hmm. that's lived for years that that world cup win in 96 never really got enough play about how 
what a great epic win that was with Mike Richter and company that the best thing, because always the owners talk about it, they don't really want to shut down the NHL, but if they're going to, and I don't know what, like, like, would it mean that it would just, would it, would it bring in new hockey fans? Like I think it might, Mike, do you think, or it just might be, wow, that's great. We want it. Let's move on. Well, if we're talking about the Olympics, man, it's definitely it'd be a huge deal. But if we're talking about like a World Cup, it's a different ballgame. Olympics, I think, Olympics, in a lot Olympics, of ways. Yeah. If we're talking Olympics, a hundred percent. I mean, you know, for Americans, it's we're so driven by what's in front of us. Like, listen, guys, I'm a racing fan. I always have been. Okay, I grew up with IndyCar and Formula One, and nobody liked it. I couldn't get anybody to go, and all of a sudden, there's a Netflix series, and everybody loves Formula One. Okay, that's so American. It's like you need to have it shoved down your throat with something that you can latch onto with personalities for you to enjoy it. And that's really what America needs in a lot of ways with the U.S. team with hockey. You know, like I, there's players that we all know within hockey circles, within media circles. We all know how good Kyle Connor is. That guy's sick. He can fill the net. He can skate. He's underappreciated because he's playing in Winnipeg, and we don't see him much in the U.S. But that's exactly the type of tournament where a Kyle Connor can shine and become a household name, you know? And that's where people get to really realize how good a Dylan Larkin is on the big stage. Uh, and I think we miss that, you know? like uh, Americans especially, we like to root for athletes, not teams as much as athletes in a lot of ways. And, and I think it would only help. And, and that's part of the disappointment, man. Like it's, it's unique. It's what we want to see. And it's a reason why the Olympics, the brand of the Olympics is so important. You know, it's a lot different than world cup. World cup doesn't grab people's attention in the U S Olympics. That's a whole different ball game. Well, yeah, and the, the thing I always go back to is, like, you know, the first name I think of with, well, it's, it's Austin Matthews, one, because of where I am and because how good he is, but for the longest time was Patrick Kane. But I bet if you asked a lot of American sports fans, the first name they might mention is TJ Oshie because he had the moment mm-hmm. at Sochi, and they're calling him TJ Sochi. And I think the disappointment for me is kind of twofold when you throw in the fact that, yeah, the Olympics could have been a big-time coming-out party for Matthews, and then you throw it in the fact that ESPN has the deal down there in the States and – like you said, you know, you can you that leads the horse to water like it's right there right. in front of the eyeballs. And it just it, it felt to me like it was kind of the perfect storm for for Matthews, you know, coming out part a year. And and look, yeah. you know, he doesn't need any any more fans in the game of hockey. You know, we all love him and we all know how talented he is. But it just felt like Olympic year ESPN having the rights. It was kind of the perfect storm for his, you know, explosion year, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think in some ways the U.S. fan has been a little bit underserved because our biggest stars are in Canada. Matthews was with the Leafs and Kyle Connor, of course, with Winnipeg. And like, think about Austin Matthews having the puck on a stick and scoring, you know, two highlight real goals to win a gold medal. Like you're, you're an icon, you're a sports icon in the U.S. the rest of your life. Michael Ruzioni isn't a sports icon in the U.S., and that guy couldn't crack the NHL. You know what I mean? And that's no slag on Mike Ruzioni. It's just that's what you become when you play on that big stage and make it happen. And I, I think still we're at that point where it's like diehard hockey fans in the U.S., of course they know who Austin Matthews is, but we need that subset. We need the casual fan to truly understand the skill set and what they're capable of, and not just Matthews. I mean, Adam Fox, this guy, I watch this guy play, and I think, gosh, we're so blessed to watch him for the next 10, 12 years. Him, Kale McCarr, to me, the two best D in the game. Wouldn't it have been amazing to see those two guys be able to have a chance to go head-to-head? So, Mike, uh, getting a little closer to home, being a goaltender, uh, explain Jack Campbell. Top goaltender drafted this year, could can never 
get a handle on it, injuries, uh, confidence, you name it, then comes as the great backup idea for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then he says, no, I'm going to take it one step further. I'm I'm going to be the number one guy. And now he takes it one step further. I'm going to be an elite number one goaltender. How does that happen? Oh, well, if we were having this conversation a year ago, I would have never believed it. And I had a chance to play against Jack Campbell in the American Hockey League dating back to his first year pro with the Texas Stars and the Dallas Stars organization. And him being a high draft pick, you know, I, I believe 11th overall, if I remember correctly, like there are such expectations and coming out of world, world juniors and that's difficult for a young goaltender. Some handle it better than others, but people forget that the track for a goalie is really your mid-20s is when you hit your stride. Maybe late 20s, but everybody wants success right away. And sometimes you get programmed to think that as an athlete. You can just do it. You're good. I can do it as a 20-year-old. I can do it in the NHL as a 21. It doesn't happen like that. And I think that, you know, looking outside in, Dallas, I don't think Dallas gave Jack Campbell the support and the coaching that he needed, the constant um, the constant on-ice help when he was young in his career. And and it just went sideways. You know, it didn't work there. There were elements of his game from a technical perspective, technical perspective I didn't like. He played really low. He played wide. Uh, at times it looked like he was playing street hockey. And, you know, then he gets to L.A. as a reclamation project. Bill Ranford, Dusty Emo, they take him on, and they rebuild his game, make him a little more narrow, a little more upright, and he starts to play well. And I thought it was kind of a mirage. You know, he comes to, he gets a bump there. He comes to Toronto with another little bump, and then I thought he was going to come back down to earth. And he's only gotten better. And I think the biggest reason is because he's now added a structural element to his game. Obviously, him and Steve Breer have been working on this. He plays within his posts. He rarely leaves the blue paint. It lets him be in position more often so that he can use this, uh, this athleticism that he has, this natural instinct to stop pucks. Okay, so I think he's got both the best of both worlds in that way. And he's cleaned up for a lot of the mistakes with the Leafs. I mean, he's a huge reason why the team's sitting where they are. He's performed well above expectation. I thought that that was maybe a big question mark for the team coming in. Campbell and Mrazek, I figured Mrazek would get hurt. He did. No surprise. I didn't expect Campbell to be able to run with it. But when I watch him now, I understand why. He's really structured, but he hasn't lost his creativity in that. Yeah, when when Gord was first asking that question, I was just gonna. I thought he was just gonna stop at goaltending. Explain because it, it, you know it, it's funny, right? We all watch this game oh so closely, but I think outside of guys like you, I mean, how many times have you have you heard a coach say, uh, "Look, I don't know, just stop one." Like there was a great moment That's in it. the uh, the Leafs had this all or nothing behind the scenes uh, documentary throughout throughout last year, and oh, what a year it was to to pick to do it. And there's a moment in one of the playoff games and. The goalie coach Briere, who again does a great job with Campbell. How, how can you not give him credit for for and of course give Campbell credit for what he's turned himself into? And you know Briere saying, "Well, one went off a defenseman and the other was tipped. And what do you want?" And Keith just says, "I'll oh, just stop one. That that's all that's I want." It. Like I, I can only imagine how lonely <laughs> it can feel sometimes. So for for a guy like for a guy like Campbell to have this, you know, you mentioned you weren't a believer, you weren't buying in uh, when you just saw it last year. Is it is it a is it a box that gets ticked with the things you were mentioning, the, a style of play, or is it a number of games you need to see out of a guy uh, playing at this sustained of a level before you really say, okay, I'm buying in? Like, is it an eye test, or is it just kind of a numbers played metric for you? 
Well, it's definitely both. You know, I always thought that you couldn't rate a goaltender's season until they played 20 games. Well, Jack Campbell's above that. He's played 23 now. I mean, I think it's very real. His numbers are going to come back down to earth a little bit. Okay, it'd be surprising if he could still hover around 935 or 940 for the length of the full season. That's just how it works. But I think if by the end of the year, if Jack Campbell's sitting 925, you're looking at it going, wow. This is impressive. This was a great pickup by Kyle Dubas when people really didn't expect this to happen. And finding value like that in goaltenders is really difficult to do because so many teams nowadays don't, you know, there's such an emphasis on developing from within. You have to. There hasn't been a goalie, a team that hasn't won a Stanley Cup in over a decade without a homegrown goalie. Well, this might flip the script if Campbell can do it. But, But I really think that this is something for him where, it is sustainable, again, because I look at the structure. If he was out in the white ice and doing the backstroke and flipping all around and out of control, I'd think this is a guy I don't really believe can continue this. But I don't see that anymore. You know, I don't see him having to make these crazy saves more often than he has to. I don't see him out of position. That leads to consistency. Uh, but it has been tough for him. I will say that, though. I mean, the team in front of him has given up a lot of – I mean – turnovers in their own zone, giveaways in the defensive zone. Like it hasn't been easy on Campbell, but he keeps responding. And the guys, the most impressive thing about him, he's doing it the biggest pressure cooker on earth for a goaltender in Toronto. I'm super impressed with his mental toughness this season. So, you know, just uh, you take a look. The Anaheim Ducks are the ones. Uh, how much are they for real or not? Mm. Well, I've watched them a fair amount this year. And what I can say is that Going into the season, I expected the big question to be, can the young guys carry the team? Well, I expected that to be Zegras and Drysdale, and turns out Troy Terry is the, is the biggest one for the team right now, along with Zegras and, and even Sonny Milano. You know, I didn't even think he was an NHL player at this point. He's, suddenly, he's first, second-line material, playing fantastic. I think that youth movement has finally caught on. They believe in what Dallas Eakins is doing. Um, I think also earlier this year, I I had a chance to speak with Kevin Shattenkirk, and he really mentioned how Jeff Ward, the assistant coach of the Ducks, uh, previous head coach of the Calgary Flames, he's really helped the power play. He's helped them offensively. He's made things more direct, more clear-cut. And I feel like they're buying into that. And it's fed the creativity of those young players. And it's it's elevated the level even the old guys, man. Shattenkirk says, if if you ask the young guys, they'll say it's me. I think it's the young guys. They're giving credit back and forth. Uh, Ryan Getzoff has played well for them. I do think that the Ducks are for real. I don't know if they're a real contender, though. You know, I think they're still a year or two away. They could use a little bit more help on the back end, but they're a good club. But I'll tell you what's interesting about them is John Gibson hasn't been quite as good as his traditional numbers suggest. The advanced numbers, and when you watch them, there are deficiencies there. I wonder come playoff time if really good teams can't figure him out. So I'm, I actually might be the only person on earth that kind of questions Gibson, but I think there's some structural elements to his game that probably need to be tweaked going into playoffs for them to be able to succeed. That That's interesting about Gibson because, you know, he was, and again, it's it's a exact example of the thing I talked about earlier. Uh, goaltending, he's been there before and he seems to be good, uh, so I'm not going to look too, too far into this, but it is interesting what you say and, you know, just kind of sticking in that division, it feels like the Ducks are almost having the season the Kings 
thought they were going to have, right? It's two pretty, mm-hmm. you know, aging teams. Obviously, the Ducks Cup was was a little farther away than than the Kings kind of their, their two that they picked up there. But it is it is such a, you know, an interesting thing to watch when you have these teams that are kind of trying to catch their prospects up quick enough to give this aging core one, one more shot. And yeah, it's, uh, that's the kind of thing that, that jumped out to me uh, about that division. I do want to dive back to, to what you were saying about the Leafs there, you know, giving up a lot of chances, uh, you know, as guys, two of us here who watch that team closely, you know, I don't think mm-hmm. we would disagree. They, there have definitely been times this year where there was a runway to the net and it has been that way kind of lately. What do you make of the team's chances, you know, in a big picture sense? You know, I, I still think this is a really, really talented group, uh, despite the defensive deficiencies to a certain extent. I think they've cleaned up their play in that regard as well. Uh, what, what, what do you what do you make of the Leafs uh, chances this year? And I, I guess just your your thought on the Atlantic division with the, the three teams that are battling it out there with the Leafs and the two Florida teams. Oh, man, the Leafs have a chance just like anybody else. I, I believe in their ability to win. I believe in their ability to go deep in the playoffs. They're in a hard division, though, with the Atlantic. I mean, if you end up finishing second or third, man, you could be playing Tampa or Florida. <laughs> you know, like, that's that's not easy. Like, if I'm Toronto, I want to win that division if I possibly can. But it, it really doesn't matter, though, because you're still going to have to go through the best teams to get there. And I, I look at the goals that they allow. It, it concerns me, the rush chances, the rush goals that are allowed against. It concerns me how aggressively they play in their D zone, which leads to some blown coverage at times. But that's really indicative of these hyper-aggressive teams that are so focused on puck possession. You see it with, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights play kind of a similar manner. They pressure so hard on the walls. They play man-to-man. Their whole goal is to get the puck back as quickly as possible. So these teams tend to possess the puck a lot, but they also give up chances that can be somewhat catastrophic at times. And that's where I think, there is a fine line between running so hot aggressively and still being responsible defensively. They can win like that. You can win like that, but it's hard and you have to really be on top of your game. If you look at a team like Calgary that just locks down Daryl Sutter defensive hockey, they're consistent in that regard because they're not as hard on the puck, not as aggressive on the puck as a Toronto or Vegas, which to me makes it a little bit easier to stay tight defensively but you still don't have that top-end offense, you know. And I think a team like Toronto, you just you can't deny the fact of how talented they are in the power play. But I think they also work harder than people realize. They work pretty hard to get to the front of the net and make goals for themselves and let that skill take over in tight. You know, what Leaf fans are just trying to gauge, I've used, I've used the analogy, Mike, that it, it's like your ultimate love who keeps breaking up with you all the time, right, about any kind mm-hmm. of playoff success. And, you know, you want to go back there again, but you don't want to get crushed like you did with Montreal or Columbus. And what, is there anything you can, you can quantify that you get better in the regular season that better prepares you not to have that kind of disappointment in the playoffs? Well, I can tell you from my own personal experience and, and, there's no surprise with my career. I was a number three goalie. I spent a lot of time in the American Hockey League, but it took me several years of failure in the playoffs before I got to the point where I realized I can do this. And it actually took me losing a playoff series but playing really well in it for me to understand that I can make it happen. And I think that that's important for players to draw on is your experience of losing, of knowing what that feeling is like, and then taking it into the positive step. There's really, when you boil it down, there's nothing to lose in playoffs. And that sounds crazy because it seems like there's everything to lose. But it's bonus hockey, and that's where you have to approach it with the mindset of, we're here, we've got to have fun, 
we've got to make sure that we want to keep playing, but we do it in the right way, and we make sure that our teammates are all on board, and we don't get overwhelmed by the situation. Because I say this all the time. Games that happen at the beginning of October are just as important as games that happen in June. They all matter, every single game. And you can't let that ride. So I, I think for a team like Toronto that's had a couple of bad first-round defeats, I mean, you take that as fuel, you know, and you just realize, hey, we've been through this before. It can't get any worse than this. Let's just go, man. Let's play. Let's have fun. And just remember that this is a game. No matter what the pressure, no matter the situation where we live, ultimately, the guys that are smiling the most on the ice, those are the guys that are filling the net. And I think that Toronto's got a mentality that can flip and get that going. I've seen it happen throughout the course of this year because things didn't start off well, guys. And they've gotten better and things have gone on. The only problem with thinking things can get worse is I, I've thought that before. As Patrice Bergeron was eliminating the Leafs after they had a 4-1 lead. And then you know what they did? They blew a 3-1 series lead to the Montreal Canadiens. So I, I suppose <laughs> you're right that, that it, it can't get any worse. But, man, every time I think they're, that that happens, uh, something tends to They're both uh, series to... losses, though. That's the thing. They both lost. No matter how many games, they were both losses. <laughs> All right. So, That's a good point. Yeah. Um, the the guy who's the captain of, uh, well, basically the anti-Leafs, even though they look uh, exactly like them in terms of jerseys, uh, Steven Stamkos, is he, mm-hmm. is, is he properly, this is a weird question to ask, especially somebody like you who is so analytical and loves to quantify things, but this feels kind of unquantifiable to me. Is he almost like, I don't, I don't want to say underrated, because I think we all know how good of a player he is, but he feels a little underappreciated to me. You know, I think of the way Jonathan Taves was lionized after the cup runs in, in Chicago and this young leader of men, and, you know, we don't, we don't need to go down the rabbit hole of revisionist history based on everything that's happened there now. But I think of the, the, the lionization that happened of a guy like Taves. And Stamkos is the captain of back-to-back Stanley Cup champs. He you know, the fact that he scored a goal in the one shift he played in the cup final in one of those years, it, it just feels to me like we go, yeah, yeah, we know he's great. We know he scored 60. We know, we know. But do we really, like, do we really give Stamkosa enough credit for being everything he, he was asked to be as a first overall pick? No, not over the last couple of years, but I think we're trending back in that direction. And, you know, if it wasn't, we're always going to look at Drysdale, McDavid, Ovechkin for the Hart Trophy or MVP of the league, but I, I don't think Stephen Stamkos is that far out of the question right now on a team that's missing Kucherov and Point, and I, I don't know, man. I think Stamkos it, it deserves that level of gratification. And, you know, when somebody battles injuries, when they're more or less forgotten, you know, like he was out of the lineup for a lot of those playoff runs, you just, they go by the wayside. You forget about them. And you almost forget, man, Steven Stamkos was one of the pure snipers in the league for a long time, and he still is. And I think he is underappreciated, undervalued, maybe league-wide. But you know where he's not, guys, is within that locker room. Because the C on his chest and the weight it carries and the way he – and as professional as he is and the leadership he brings, he's huge for that club in Tampa Bay. And they have no shortage of that. They have no shortage of talent either. But I think when things start to really go sideways, they're always going to look to that same guy. And, and Stamkos is him. And he's been able to score big goals at all times. And, guys, there's nobody more broken up about not going to the Olympics than Steven Stamkos. You know, a last cut. He's injured for one. He can't get to go. Um, I feel bad for him. But 
I do feel good for him that he's finally starting to get a bit of recognition again because he is still one of the best players in the game. And, you know, I, one thing I like about him is that he, he stayed in Tampa his whole career, man. He's made a living there. He loves it. He's got some loyalty to it. And I think it's paid off in both directions. I, I have some thoughts about him uh, sticking in Tampa as a guy uh, sitting here in Toronto. But, uh, hey, good good on him and good on the people uh, <laughs> down, down in Tampa. Mike, uh, first time getting to chat with you. Have have love following your work this season. Thanks so much for taking the time. Sure. Thanks so much, man. It was a blast. And uh, happy holidays to everybody up there north of the border. I hope things hope things go well for all you guys. Yeah, we're, uh, we are hoping the same, and uh, same to you. There he goes, uh, Mike McKenna. You can follow his work on uh, daily face-off there. Uh, Gord, yeah, I mean, it's been a fun week. Uh, you know, we ended talking Steven Stamkos there. Uh, I've just, uh, I, I got to say, you know, holiday season, we're all feeling warm and fuzzy, and I'm feeling a little warm and fuzzy with you, Gordo. You you have opened up Leafs Nation with, with warm arms to me. You've had a, a ton of co-hosts over the years, and uh, I'm truly honored to get my, to call myself uh, one of them. Well, it's been a blast and been a lot of fun. And you know, we should have uh, we should have been end, uh, doing post game show right now with the Leaf St. Louis right. game that was scheduled to be two p.m. today. But you know, this week, and I don't know if Kiprios and Bourne had some idea that there would be a pause. So we were looking <laughs> forward to uh, uh, lots of hockey talk, which we did. But uh, there were not the number of games, right? And uh, uh, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter. There's no shortage of things to talk about, and it was kind of nice that 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 Christmas season feel that we had heading into the weekend. So um, I know we got a couple of minutes here, but for everyone out there, we extend our certainly holiday wishes, Christmas wishes, and uh, all the best, and try to stay safe as we uh, it's which is difficult to do right now, and we're just looking forward to be back on there December 27th onwards. Uh, um, yeah, fasten your seatbelt. It may be bumpy, but uh, hopefully a lot more positives rather than negatives. We we can't wait. You heard we heard you mention Nick Kiprios there, and he's given us the gears. So now let's let him give himself the gears. Here's the outtakes from Kipper earlier this week, live from the 401 Highway. I, no, let me do that again. Sorry, <laughs> live from Highway 4. <laughs> live from Pioneer Village. Where in five minutes you could be eating. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Live from Pioneer Village, where Gord Stellick is awaiting his butter churn. It's Stellectricity and Brent Gunning. No, 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 no. Let's do that one more time. Live from the Lee Side Dog Park, it's Gord Stellick. And who else? Yeah, yeah. No, I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, thank you to Derek Brandeo for grabbing that. Uh, thank you to Real Kipper and Board for uh, clearing out the airtime. As you mentioned, Gord, uh, they couldn't have picked a better week to take vacation, but we've had a blast uh, nonetheless. Uh, speaking of having a blast, it was a blast in overtime. How about this for a quick little stat? Leafs prospect, Finnish captain, Roni Hirovainen. He uh, just gave the Finns an overtime win in a pre-tournament game at the World Juniors over the States. So uh, we know the future's bright uh, right now in the Leafs, and hopefully it's bright going forward. Gordo, it was fun all week. Uh, we'll be back hopefully on Monday with the Leafs game when it is a full jam-loaded NHL slate. Thanks to everybody who joined us today. Colby Armstrong, Julian McKenzie, and Mike McKenna. And most importantly, thanks so much to you out there for listening. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas.